Yo. Well, how's everybody doing tonight? Yes. Yes. I know we're getting some chairs out so we can get everybody a seat in here tonight, but uh, welcome to the point tonight. And uh, school's back in session. Who's excited about that? No? Yeah, some of you, some of you. Um, listen, I know, uh, I know um, uh, kind of where we're going tonight is we are, we are talking through a little bit about and unpacking about what we're doing as a whole entire church um, in this new series called Obscurity. And PK, if you were here on Sunday morning, our senior pastor talked about this uh, on Sunday, and so we're going to hit it from a different angle tonight. But this whole idea of obscurity, how the hidden years have shaped our future. And you see the 90%, the 10%, we're going to get to that here in a little bit. But uh, a question for you, how many of you guys have moved to a new city before? You've moved to a new place, and you've been new at a school, and all that, you ever did that? Okay, some of you guys. How many, where are freshmen at the house? You guys are going to new territory and sweet, y'all give it for the freshmen tonight, yes. Thank you guys for being here. You know, this is, this is what I found. When you move to a new city, or, or I remember when I was going into my freshman year of high school and I came in, I mean, there was all of this uncertainty. Nobody knew who I was. I felt unimportant. I felt like people didn't understand me. I felt like I was trying to find my place. And, and I remember like in places where I've moved to different cities or even when I was coming in my freshman year, the first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to establish who I was. So when I was talking to people who really didn't know who I was, I wanted them to think that I was important, right? So I began to roll out this resume of things that I've done so that they would think that I was cool. And so I'd be like, yeah, man, you know, I ride four-wheelers, and I, I like to hunt, and yeah, man, I play sports, and I do this, I do this kind of stuff. And I would begin reeling off all of these accomplishments, and my pride would begin getting the best of me because I wanted them to know that, like, I was the man. I wanted to fit in. I did not want to feel unimportant. I did not want to feel insignificant. And this is what I found. What I found is, is that every single person in this room wants to be known. Every person in this room wants to be important. Every person in this room wants to know that others notice them. See, I think that God has built this in us. This desire that we have to want to be known. In fact, I think that is why there is this craving deep within the soul of every man, deep within the soul of every woman to be with their Savior, to know God, to know who He is. Even when people say things like, I'm an agnostic, I don't really know if I know God or I know about God or know who God is. When they make those statements, there is still this, this depth within them that, that they are trying to dig and seek and understand who God is. Is there a God? Because they have this desire to want to be known. That's the reason when someone gives their life to Christ, when they have an encounter with God, all of a sudden... They are known by God, and they know who God is. And all of a sudden, there is this joy, this unspeakable joy that invades their life. There's a difference. Transformation takes place. And when we talk about obscurity, and uh, PK, our senior pastor, mentioned this definition of obscurity <coughs> on Sunday, and I want to read it to you. The state of being unknown, inconspicuous or unimportant. The quality of being difficult to understand. Do you ever feel that way? See, I think that everybody does. Especially teenagers. Sometimes we just feel, do people notice me? 
am I, am I important? I feel unimportant. And we do different things to kind of kind of get the word out there, you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes like we'll we'll post something on Facebook or we'll tweet something and, and we want someone to retweet us back or we want someone to follow us or we want someone to hit the like button on the Facebook just so that we know that like there are other people out there who recognize us. And what happens is in our life is that is that we begin to get into this rut and when we begin to get into these obscure times this this these seasons of obscurity sometimes our life begins to unravel because we don't know how to navigate it. And this is what I think is so cool about Jesus. That Jesus understands the things that we go through because Jesus actually went through those same things. See, here's the reality. Jesus spent 90% of his life in obscurity. 90% of his life was in obscurity. Only 10% of his life do we see him in the public eye. See, Jesus lived for 33 years, we know. 30 years of Jesus' life were preparation for what happened in those three years of ministry. And when we see the history of Jesus' life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, 99 chapters of the Bible about Jesus' life, did you know that 95 of those 99 chapters are about the 10%, the three years of Jesus' public ministry? Only four of the 99 chapters in all of the Bible, even talk about the 90% of Jesus' life. In other words, <laughs> virtually the early years of Jesus are unknown. But I'm here to tell you, they were incredibly important. See, sometimes what we can think is, is that the unseen seasons of our life are unimportant. But just because we have unseen seasons of our life does not mean that we are unimportant and does not mean that those seasons are not unimportant. In fact, what we see is, is that the things that God the Father formed in Jesus during these 30 years of his life gave root to the fruitfulness of the 10%, the three years of Jesus' ministry. You have to get that. And we see this all throughout Scripture. In fact... Let me point to two of probably the most popular, probably the most talked about people in all of the Old Testament. Let's start with Moses. If you go to Exodus chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles, you can open there. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under your seat. <coughs> and I'll give you a second to get there. Let me set up the story. Moses has been born during the time of the Egyptians. The Pharaoh of Egypt um, uh, has sent out a decree to kill all the babies. Moses' mom, in order to all the babies of the Israelites, Moses' mom, in order to protect, uh, to protect her child, um, has him put in a basket and placed in a river, in the Nile River. The basket floats down the river, and Pharaoh's daughter finds the basket in the river. And Pharaoh's daughter begins to, to raise Moses. And so they raise Moses, and Moses is now older. And one day he's out, and he sees this, this uh, Israelite, one of his people, being, being beaten because they're slaves in the land. 
And Moses decides to take things in his own hands and he goes and he actually kills the guy who is beating his fellow Israelite. He doesn't think that anyone sees what happens, but what he, comes to, what he ends up realizing is, is that, that someone did see this happen. And so Moses runs for his life. The Bible tells us that Pharaoh was searching all over to kill Moses. And Moses escapes and goes to this place called Midian. And basically, when he's in Midian, he meets this, this woman. They get married. He has a son. And Moses is exiled from Egypt. Now think about this. His life is pretty insignificant. His life is pretty unimportant. He has been exiled. He knows that if he goes back to Egypt, that something bad is going to happen to him. In fact, not only will something bad happen to him, but he will be killed if he goes back to Egypt. And listen, being exiled means that this is a punishment that is never going to be released from him. And I want you to notice this. If you got your Bibles in Exodus chapter 2, I want you to, to, to look at verse 23. He says this, during that long period, the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God, God heard their groanings, he remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob, so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now I want you to listen to this, this is, this is it right here, listen, verse 23, during that long period of time. See, Moses was in this season of obscurity, this long period of time, 90%, the time when he was unimportant, he was unrecognized, no one would have followed him, no one would have known who he was. He had no power, everything was stripped from him. But this is what we know about Moses. Moses remained faithful to God. He remained faithful to God during the season of obscurity. And what happened is this. You get to chapter 3 and God calls Moses, reveals himself to him, and tells him to go and lead the people Israel out of slavery. And he does. And he writes the first five books of the Bible. The first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Number, and Deuteronomy. Moses becomes one of the greatest biblical, not just characters, but men of God of all time. Yet he had this long period of time of obscurity. And then we get to Elijah. If you got your Bibles, you can flip over to, you flip to your right to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Now let me tell you what's going on in Elijah's life. One of the greatest prophets that ever lived. He was a prophet of God. And this is the cool thing about Elijah. God tells Elijah, go and tell the king that it's not going to rain. So Elijah goes and tells the king he's obedient to God. God sends uh, Elijah out by a brook. He feeds him with ravens. Uh, he's drinking from the book, brook. Eventually the brook dries up. God leads Elijah to go to this widow's house. She has no food. She, she is about to die herself. God ends up providing food for her and her child and for Elijah. And, and, and there's just this desperate situation. A famine is on the land. Many people are dying. There's no water. There's no food. Years have passed. I want you to notice what it says in 1 Kings chapter 18. After a long time. After a long time. See, Elijah was in this season of obscurity. This season of famine. 
It seemed like his life was unimportant. It seemed like that everything that he did just seemed to be spinning his will. That he did not know when the end of this was going to be. After a long time. Who knows what a long time is? Who knows how long this is? We're not specified here. And listen, this is what I know. Some of you guys are in seasons of your life right now. And you don't know what the end is. You don't see an end in sight. You don't know when you're going to get past this thing. And you just think, man, am I really important? Is God really looking upon me? Does God really know the situations that I'm dealing with right now but Elijah remained faithful and if you keep reading what you see is God raises up Elijah Elijah goes up on on the mountain and 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 has this unbelievable scene where God's glory is shown where he calls down fire from heaven to take out the uh the prophets of Baal and it's this un- incredible scene and people begin to worship God and the name of God is spread all over the area because of the faithfulness of Elijah we see Elijah being remaining faithfulness and becoming a man that actually God even takes to heaven the bible tells us there's two people that lived on earth that never died that god took to heaven elijah is one of those people god loved elijah but elijah had this season of obscurity and this is what i know what i know is is that we all have seasons of obscurity we all have seasons of obscurity Jesus had it, Elijah had it, Moses had it, and listen, every man and every woman that God uses greatly in the Bible had massive seasons of obscurity. I think it's interesting because sometimes we say, hey man, you're a Christian, you're supposed to be like Jesus. But when we say be like Jesus, most of the time what we're talking about are these years. But maybe sometimes when we say be like Jesus is, is that it means to remain faithful even when you are in these years. Because, see, this is what I know. It is most difficult to remain faithful to God when you are in the years of obscurity. And that's true. So, why are these seasons so hard for us? Why do we have a tough time winning the obscure seasons in our life? Well, I think that there's several reasons. Let me give them to you. The first one is this. The first one is is that we compromise. It's difficult for us to be in these seasons because we compromise. Listen, I know how it is. When I was in eighth grade going into ninth grade, I was in high school. I wanted to fit in. I wanted people to know me. I did not want to be unimportant. I wanted to be important. I didn't want to be obscure. And I felt like the, the, the way that I could do that so that people would notice me, the way that I could do that so people would, would, would look on me and think that I was important or think that I was cool was, is that I compromised. See, we live in a culture that would rather have 30 minutes of fame than 30 years of faithfulness. And I wanted fame. We all want fame. And so I begin to compromise. I begin to get in relationships with girls that I knew I shouldn't be in relationships with. I begin to drink. I begin to do drugs. I begin to do these things because I thought that if I did these things, that people would think that I was cool. Or that I would fit in. Or that I would be noticed. That I wouldn't be unimportant. And what happens is is that when we go through these seasons of obscurity, sometimes what we do is we compromise. That's why these seasons are so tough for us. We compromise because because we don't want to be unnoticed. 
We want people to know who we are. We want to be important. And we think that if we do these things, that, that maybe we will be noticed. The second thing is this. We get impatient. These seasons are tough because we get impatient. Any impatient people in the house? Man, I'm impatient. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude, I, I go pulling up. Like, I go get groceries, you know, and I go pulling up to the, to the lines. And I see the first line. I'm like, dang, that girl, I'm counting, like, how many people think, items she's got in her little, little buggy card thing. And I'm like, nah, it's too many. And I go to the next one. Because I'm impatient. I don't want to wait. I hate traffic. Anybody, anybody hate traffic? <laughs> Can't stand it. In fact, I was actually listening to the radio this morning. They were actually saying that traffic takes years off of your life because of the stress that actually comes through having traffic. So, man, I'm just, I'm, I just think we need to figure some things out so we don't have to be in traffic anymore because I don't want to die early. <laughs> I'm an impatient person. Any, anybody ever been on a road trip before? Any road trips in here? Who likes road trips? Who's a big road trip fan? Yeah, man, I love some road trips. <laughs> see, see when, I was, when I was growing up, when I was growing up, my family was poor. And so we all, that's all we did was road trips. I didn't, I never, I never got on a plane until I was a senior in college. Never even been on a plane until I was a senior in college. I, my parents couldn't afford to fly us anywhere. And so my aunt, my dad's sister, lived seven hours away. And I remember when I was a little kid, we would pile in my grandmother's van, seven of us in a van on a seven-hour drive. And, you know, I got a little brother, he's beside me, and he's, like, touching me, and he's crossing that line. You know that invisible line that's there that your brother is not supposed to cross, you know what I'm saying? And, and he would cross that line, and I'm slapping him, my mom's beating me, you know, all this kind of stuff. I'm crying, it was crazy. And, and what would happen is we would get on these road trips, and we would start down the road, and, and, and I mean, seven people, luggage, we're all uncomfortable, and... And so back then, you know, because I'm old, we had a CD player. I know you guys don't know what that is, but it's actually this round thing. You put a thing, disc thing in. Yeah. And um, so, so I had this CD player, and, and I would listen to CDs in the car, but, but then I would, like, listen to the CDs for a while, and then I would get tired of listening to music. So then we would play games in the car like I Spy or Punch Bug or Dodge. Dodge what? Dodge this. Boom. Punch them in the face. All that kind of stuff. You know, and... So we would play all these games, but, but, then, but then we would get bored of playing these games because, you know, you, couldn't, you can't play but so many games. And so then I'm like counting sheep. I take a little cat nap. I do all these little things. And then we're about five hours into the seven-hour journey. And I'm getting a little impatient. My butt's getting a little numb. My brother's annoying me. I'm getting antsy. And so I say what every kid says. When they get to, oh, you know, when they get to that point, you know, they've done everything they know to do, and it's like, okay, I'm bored. Are we there yet? And I can imagine my parents are in the front seat going, what the heck are you talking about? Are we there yet? Can you look out the window? We're on a highway. There's trees on both sides of the road. Of course we're not there yet. We got hours left in this journey. Of course we're not there yet. Now, I wasn't asking that question because I knew we were not there yet. I was asking that question because, because I was bored. I was antsy. I wanted to know when we were going to get there. I wanted to know when the destination was going to come. And I was impatient. Man, we do the same thing in life. Like when we're going through seasons of obscurity, sometimes we say to God, Hey, God. God, are we there yet? 
God, I've, I've done everything I know to do. And I'm bored. I'm in this season. Like, I just, God, where, when are we going to be there? Like, where is the destination at? God, God, I'm, I, I'm, I, my butt's not numb, but my life feels kind of numb right now. You know what I'm talking about when your life gets numb? Where you don't feel like you can feel anything? And so when you come to church, you just don't feel it? Like, things just get numb. You're in that season of obscurity. And the numbness sets in and you get antsy. And I think the reason that these seasons are hard is because we're impatient. Yet one of the fruits of the Spirit, the Bible tells us, are love, joy, peace. Listen, patience. Patience. God is saying, hey, listen, hang in there. Remain faithful because if you remain faithful in this season of obscurity, you have no idea what I have for you with that destination. See, maybe sometimes it's not just about the destination. Maybe sometimes it's about the journey as well. Because when you go through that journey and you get to that destination and you can remain faithful throughout that journey, what you see is, is that the destination is so much sweeter. So we get impatient. The third thing. The third thing that we do, and what makes this difficult is, is that we live in a world that celebrates the highlight reel. We live in a world that celebrates the highlight reel. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like when you turn on Sports Center, you see the top 10 or the not top 10, right? Anybody got DVR in the house? Greatest invention ever. You know what I'm saying? It's the highlights, man. I fast forward through all the commercials. I don't want to watch the commercials. I don't have time for that. Like, like everything is a highlight reel. And, and listen, and listen, this is why I think that we live in the most wealthy, blessed country in the world. Yet we lead the world in depression and we lead the world in medicated people. It's because we think that every day should be a highlight reel. Every moment, every second, everything that we do should be a highlight reel. And we have to caution ourselves here because the reality is, is that in Jesus' life, about 10% of his life was a highlight reel. And so we begin to get depressed when we're in seasons of obscurity. Instead of remaining faithful, we begin to slip off and we begin to kind of get frustrated and we begin to get depressed. Because our life doesn't seem like a highlight reel. We see other people's lives around us. And we say, hey man, like, all this stuff is going good for them. All these things are happening for them. But I bet if you had a conversation with them, they probably think the same for you. See, we look at other people. And we think that their life is a highlight reel when in reality... Maybe they're faking it just like we are. In fact, if you skip the, 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 the fourth one, or the, if you skip the, if you go to the next one, is this, is that we feel like we need to fake it. The reason it's hard is that we feel like we need to fake it, right? Because what happens is that when we think that our life needs to be a highlight reel, then we need to let other people think that, that our life is a highlight reel so that they can think that we're significant and so that we can think that we are significant. And again, social media is how we do this. 
And so we post pictures of ourselves, we Instagram it, we put, build a little album or whatever of all these adventures that we do because we want people to think that we're adventurous. We want people to think that our life is awesome and cool, that they want to hang out with us because our life is a highlight reel. But let's just be honest for a minute. Life is not always a highlight reel. I love it, man. Sometimes I talk to Christians all the time, and I go to them, and I know they're going through difficult things in their life. And I say, hey, man, dude, how you doing? Man, God is good. I know God is good. How are you doing? Because I know you're not doing good. I know you're struggling right now. I know you're in a season of obscurity. I know you're facing some trials right now. And it's okay. We feel like sometimes like, like I have to like tell everybody that everything's okay. And I have to tell everybody that everything's going good in my life. Because if I don't tell them that, they're going to think something's wrong with me. It is not spiritually mature to always put on a front and make everybody think that you're all right when you're not. It is spiritually mature to be honest with yourself and honest with the people around you and say, hey, you know what, I'm really struggling right now. This smile on my face is hiding a lot of pain behind it. I'd have really appreciated as my brother or sister in Christ that you would pray for me right now. See, we can't get honest with ourselves because we feel like we have to put on this persona and this facade that our life has to be a highlight reel. Let's just get honest. For some of us in this room, for most of us in this room, you are in a season of obscurity. If not, your entire high school years are seasons of obscurity. You feel like, what am I doing now that's really going to affect my marriage, my children, my occupation, etc. down the road? That is when it matters. That is when I'll be at my 10%. When I can be successful, when I can be this. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't miss it. How you navigate this will have a major impact on what this looks like. And see, what happens sometimes, and the fifth thing is this, is that sometimes we think that we've done something wrong, or we think that God has abandoned us, or we think that God is distant from us because we're going through seasons of obscurity. Because we've bought into this lie that everything is supposed to be great and perfect and a highlight reel in our life if we love Jesus, and if we're following God, and if we're going to church, and if we're reading our Bible, and if we're raising our hands when we sing. And so, I, God, I don't understand. I'm doing everything right. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And God, I feel like I'm still in this season of obscurity. God, I don't understand. What you need to realize is, is that you can do everything right. And still be in a season of obscurity. Think about Jesus. Jesus was tempted in every way, the Bible tells us, yet without sin. Jesus did nothing wrong. Jesus lived his life holy and pleasing to God in every way. Yet 90% of his life was in obscurity. Just because you're going through seasons of obscurity does not mean that God is not there. And just because you're going through seasons of obscurity doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. And it doesn't mean that this isn't the season that God wants you in. 
Because what happens is, is that when we are in seasons of obscurity, God begins to develop, build, grow things in us to prepare us for what he's going to do in us and through us in those seasons of fruitfulness in the 10%. And I see it happen all the time. So, those are the things that make it tough. Let me give you guys a couple biblical truths and we'll close this thing out. The first biblical truth is this, that you need to know. Is that God is in control. God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly where he's taking you. And he knows what the destination is going to look like for you. He knows exactly where you're at in this journey. Even though the Bible tells us that it's a long time off. The Bible tells us that years have passed. Even though the Bible tells us God was not surprised by the time of obscurity that Moses had, that Elijah had, that Jesus had. Because God knows the destination. He knows the end zone. He knows what's there because God is in control. And God has this unbelievable plan for your life. And what he's saying to you is, is that, listen, I'm in control. Trust me. Be faithful in this season of obscurity. God has a perfect plan, and in his perfect time, that will produce great fruitfulness if you don't sabotage it. See, we can sabotage the 10% based on how we respond in the 90%. You see this all the time. See, students think, well, it's not a big deal. I'm young. Now's my time to sow my wild oats. Now's my time to live it up. Later on, I'll get that stuff right in my life. Later on, I'll worry about the things for God. Man, this is my high school years. This is my college years. This is my time to do my thing. This is my life. And what we do is we begin to say, this time right here is unimportant. This time right here doesn't matter. And we begin to sabotage this 10% because we make stupid decisions in the 90. Stupid decisions. I'm guilty. We're all guilty. The second one is this. God's in control. The second biblical truth is this. Before God uses someone publicly, he forms them in obscurity. See, from God's perspective, obscure seasons are sacred spaces. See, the secret to Jesus' strength the secret to Moses' strength to lead Israel out of slavery, the secret to Elijah's strength to face the prophets of Baal were in how they navigated the 90% or the years of obscurity in their life. They were unapplauded years, but they were not unproductive years. And the years that you are facing right now in high school, they may be unapplauded years, but they are, they are, they are not unproductive years. These years are forming you. These years are shaping you into what God would have for you. See, what if the trials that you are facing in these obscure years are building character and building strength in you so that when you face the, the incredible things inside of the fruitful years that you are able to rise above and rise to that level. I think that's the reason James says it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. What? Consider it joy when I face trials? What are you thinking? Because you know. That the testing of your faith, obscure seasons, the testing of your faith, will produce perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that, listen, 
so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it joy when you face trials and the testing of your faith. Because when you persevere through those things, when you remain faithful through the 90%, that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Our senior pastor was talking about this on Sunday. And uh, I cut a little section out, just a couple minute little section of, of something that he was talking about in there to really highlight this idea that this time is, is forming you. And sometimes we don't, we don't see it. We don't recognize it. Sometimes we, we, we compromise. Sometimes we do these things in these seasons. And, and I wanted to show you a clip from it. One, because some of you may not know who our senior pastor is, and he is the freaking man. PK is the man. And, uh, and, uh, and I want to tell you, if you don't attend on Sunday morning here, and your family doesn't attend on Sunday morning here, man, you are missing out. So you need to be here on Sundays. But here's just something that, uh, that PK shared on Sunday, and I wanted to share it with you, and then we'll close this thing out. I'll have to confess that in my early years, uh, I had a disdain for obscurity. I, I remember called to ministry, and I went to university for my first year. And in order to get through the year, I had to have multiple jobs on campus and otherwise. And uh, unfortunately, I got the job of janitor. <laughs> and I remember when I was literally down on my knees in front of a urinal. And I'm cleaning, and I promise you, uh, college guys, it's nasty. <laughs> and as I'm cleaning the urinal, I'm getting so angry with God. And, I, and I'm finally... I just, you called me to pastor, not be a janitor. What are you doing? I'm supposed to be learning how to lead people, not clean toilets. And I know God whispered something. And I just couldn't make it out for about 20 years. <laughs> but I think this was the crux of it. Kevin, you will make a better spiritual leader publicly as you become a better janitor in obscurity. Listen, in obscure seasons, God was forming future strength. Write it down. In obscurity, God is forming future strength. See, you, you might be in a season where you feel like even as a parent or in business or in a job transition or even in ministry or even at this church or, or even in some area of your life where like God has put you into an obscure place. And here's my question. What if you began to see it as a season for God to form future strength? You would live differently. I'm telling you, you would. Maybe, maybe that's true all the way down to college or high school or middle school. You know, we're going to parallel this series. Those, those areas of ministry are going to speak right to this same subject, tapping into the book Anonymous. We would encourage the read. 
Because when you're in those seasons, you can buy into the world's belief that these are such obscure seasons of your life that they don't really matter. So you can be irresponsible, dismissive, sow your wild oats. Who cares? And then when you become an adult with real relationships, real responsibility, a real career, and real opportunity, then you're going to start taking things serious. Now you'll finally take responsibility serious. Now you'll finally take God serious. Now you're going to rise up in career. Now you're going to become disciplined. Not likely. Not likely. It's not a switch. It's a lifetime of what you build in. See, on game day, it reveals what you were doing in practice. So good. Yeah. What if what, if what God was building in obscurity led to future strength? See, the last point I put in your notes there is faithfulness in the 90% will lead to fruitfulness in the 10%. Faithfulness in the 90% will lead to fruitfulness in the 10%. And this is what a formula that I've found. <laughs> faithfulness in the 90% plus the fruitfulness that God gives us in the 10% because we're faithful in the 90 leads to an indestructible life impenetrable you are indestructible when you are faithful in the 90% and God gives you fruitfulness in the 10% let me tell you something Jesus was indestructible Moses was indestructible Elijah was indestructible equally faithlessness in the 90% in obscurity plus fruitlessness that comes from faithlessness leads to an insignificant life. These stories here, faithlessness plus fruitlessness, the insignificant stories, they don't make the history books. And they don't make the Bible. See, I think it's interesting. The history doesn't record the obscure years. But it does record the fruitful years. And there is no fruitful years without faithfulness in the obscure years. And so I want to challenge you as you start out school this week that you're going to hit times of obscurity and you may be in them right now. That I want to tell you to remain faithful to God. To trust that he is in control. To trust that he may be forming future strength in you right now. To trust him in the biblical truth that faithfulness in the 90% will lead to fruitfulness in the 10%. To trust him that he has something incredible for you. A destination down the road that is greater than anything you could ever think or imagine. Trust him in that. Because he does. If you remain faithful.